And uh, you want to talk a little bit about, uh, maybe do a, <clears throat> we can take a little case example and, and uh, analyze how we would approach it. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. Did you have any ideas of uh, like an example or something that we might want to uh, play around with? Um, well, let's let's uh, you know a good one is uh, inventory. Mm-hmm. That's an always a interesting. It could be, you know, so you have a an inventory system and uh, it's modeling the real world. So you have a warehouse, and then you have parts out in the warehouse, and then. Uh, you have uh, inventory that's leaving the warehouse and uh, inventory that's coming in. So that that might be a good one to, to look at. Yeah, I think so. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, yeah, so that would represent your problem domain there. Sort of this is the thing you're trying to solve is the uh, storage and retrieval of physical items in a warehouse. Uh, you know, so uh, as you sort of break that down into uh, individual components, there's probably like, physical locations uh, for those items, uh, as well as like quantities, uh, probably the items themselves have descriptors, you know, this sort of makes up all of the, uh, uh, essentially all the entities in your, uh, in your problem domain, um, you know, so uh, individual items may have like SKUs and things like that, right? Uh, so these would be sort of your, what you would like, what you would say is like your data models, right? Um, yeah, so I would say like, a, a, it would probably would have a part, um, you would, you know, depending on how your your warehouse is set up, you could have it with a, some sort of geolo- geological, lo- or, sorry, geolocation. It could be like on a row, a certain shelf, a certain bin, uh, or it could even be smaller inside of a bin. You could have um, uh, maybe a, even a kind of a, a smaller unit, but, you know, maybe just stay was uh, then you would have like a weight a volume and then you're going to have a unit of measurement like uh is it going to be a box or is it going to be a uh, a specific you know like a so, so many items in that box I maybe mean, there's a dozen in the box um, so i guess it depends on your granularity so there'd be uh, different types of granularity for your primary unit of measurement yeah Makes sense. Uh, so, all right, well, let's, let me just explore some initial thoughts that popped into my mind. Um, you know, so sort of in the spirit of, you know, agile and um, iterative feedback on it, um, you know, kind of going out there with an idea, playing around with it, see if it actually matches uh, what you're trying to accomplish and then uh, refining it as you go. Uh, but so initially it seems like uh, we have uh, <clears throat> a catalog of items, sort of this is our virtual inventory uh, separated from um, separated from its physical space, and that way we can search for things maybe based on their characteristics or whatever else. And this, you know, this is what we might use for our like our front end uh, of an application, maybe e-commerce or whatever. Do a search for some items and say, hey, we have here's a book or here's a household item, whatever you want. Um, okay. And then um, kind of on the the back end then you'd have uh, order fulfillment for that, which is we need to probably pull that item from the warehouse, right? So um, so probably at that point we know, uh, you know, we have an SKU, um, you know, we may also wanna know like inventory counts and stuff like that, right? Sure. Yeah, and so uh, kind of going back to uh, when I when we spoke last, we uh, were sort of talking about interfaces 
and um, how good application design is built around putting interfaces at sensible seams for what you're trying to accomplish in your application. So initially I'm seeing uh, a seam here where, uh, you know, probably, uh, you know, from our, within our application somewhere, we want to start asking the simple question of, uh, I have an SKU and I want to get uh, some sort of location where that thing exists. And uh, and so we would probably need to model out, okay, well, you know, like you were saying, maybe there's a geolocation, like how do we want to represent a location in a warehouse? Is that aisles and uh, sections and shelf numbers? You know, that's one way to identify it. So, um, you know, and, and oftentimes that's going to be more uh, almost designated by the warehouse itself, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so essentially we would just be modeling uh, what the warehouse is doing in order to uh, correctly identify items. Uh, but then essentially your interface, you know, you want to sort of abstract it out so that in its simplest terms, you're passing in a reference to some item and it's giving you back uh, a location of where to find that item, right? And so, yes. so that would essentially make your seam. And then, um, you know, so, so you'd want to implement an interface for that and, and keep that interface fairly simple um, and also make it maybe a little more generic. Uh, so for instance, uh, you wouldn't necessarily, if you're using like say entity framework or something, you wouldn't, you want to avoid passing uh, entities across that um, and, and instead just keep it like sort of plain objects, uh, you know, maybe even just strings or just simple models. Uh, so that way uh, the implementation doesn't, uh, or excuse me, the, the, per, the one consuming that interface doesn't necessarily need to know about its implementation. So because anything that's in that uh, defined in the interface, other parts of your application are going to have to know about. Uh, and so this is where, where we get yeah. into uh, decoupling. Uh, so if you start, you know, uh, and I see this all the time where someone's like, oh yeah, we're using entity framework. Why don't we model up what a, a warehouse location looks like in entity framework, and then we'll just pass that entity across the interface. Uh, but what they uh, don't realize in the convenience of that is they've uh, essentially tied the whole rest of their application to entity framework and made it that much harder to change if they ever want to. So uh, essentially tying their application to that specific implementation and also that framework, uh, which is which is huge. And I'm, I'm sure okay. we've all seen cases where we're like, wow, we'd love to change out this data storage framework, but we can't because it's so integrated into everything. And, uh, and so it's, it's here at this seam, at this interface, that we, that we get to choose that level of integration. And so by deliberately saying the things that cross this threshold don't belong to any known framework, uh, we, can, uh, we can clearly avoid that decoupling, even if we have to translate from entity framework objects into just plain old C-sharp classes, things that belong in our domain model. Uh, before sending it across that interface, it will keep it clean because uh, probably, and this is, um, you know, where it kind of comes back to the problem domain, um, you know, the things that we're solving for, uh, for instance, like inventory, warehouse locations, and all these will probably remain constants, even if we decide to change out our data store. Like, so for instance, down the road, we, there's some uh, new technology that's come out, come out for uh, better data storage. Uh, that changing doesn't necessarily have any bearing on our core problem, right? Like we're still storing inventory. And the only thing that's going to change our inventory problem is if something dramatically changes about our warehouse, right? Like we've acquired a new warehouse and maybe it sort stores things in a completely different way. Right. Uh, so one, one uh, piece that I've been thinking of is uh, uh, a problem domain 
so we have our entities. We talked about our entities, and we talked about our interfaces not necessarily being tied to implementation. We want to keep that really fluid, and so we're capable of changing that uh, very quickly. Um, one of the things that inventory has as a, as a, a problem domain is uh, that you have re reorder points, and so there's this constant battle to figure out what you have in inventory, uh, when you're going to need to order it. So, so like, for example, there's certain times of the year, uh, you might need to have a lot of inventory because you're going to have higher, higher sales. And uh, uh, it takes time for inventory to be delivered. And so you're in this battle of trying to figure out how much inventory should you have on hand versus having too much inventory where that would represent a liability and you could be using that money for uh, other things other than sitting on your shelf. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, um, and so, yes, so, uh, go ahead, go ahead. There. So one, one piece of technology, sorry, one piece of technology that doesn't exist now uh, is what if every, uh, every piece of inventory had some sort of transmitter now and it could transmit uh, through a very low cost, uh, Wi-Fi, lo its location, and its count. So you know in real time, not in batch time, exactly what your inventory state is and you know what's come in, where it is, and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's, that's your question there. Uh, yeah, so that, I, that's the, kind of the, the problem domain was this, you know, understanding in real time the state of your inventory. So what I'm suggesting is what if you have, what the problem domain is that things are not done in real time. They're done in cycle counts and they're done, you know, periodically. And there's this inefficiency due to the fact that you don't have a real time system. What if you have a real-time inventory system now? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and a lot of that is, uh, again, sort of architecturally, um, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, uh, some piece is going to make that decision, right? So uh, we'd say, okay, well, you know, prob probably we have uh, some piece of in inventory, and uh, let's make the assumption for now, even though this may not match the real world, that each piece of inventory would be ordered independently of other uh, other pieces of inventory. If there was cross dependencies, like things had to be ordered in paired pairs, that would be, uh, you know, sort of a facet of the problem. Um, but let's just simplify it for illustration purposes here. And so, uh, you know, essentially there could be a piece, again, through an interface that says, okay, let's take uh, a piece of inventory, uh, which is, you know, it's well well known and well established in your problem domain and say, okay, well, we, we need to uh, have something determine when this needs to be reordered, right? So, you know, probably, uh, again, we'd set up an interface and say, okay, uh, you know, does, does this need to be reordered and how many of them? And so, um, you know, might be a good question to ask. So we create that interface and then that leaves uh, the implementation itself to say, okay, well, maybe uh, we have plans of implementing this RFID tracker down the road, but we don't quite know what that looks like. But we do know that this is a question that will um, remain consistent in our, uh, in our problem domain is, do we need to order more and how many uh, of this particular inventory, right? So uh, that's where your interface yeah. comes into play, but you keep it just that simple, you know, like that's the sort of keep it to the question you're trying to ask and uh, try to avoid all implementation details. 
and so then, you know, present day with no RFID tracking, uh, you can implement uh, a version of that that says, okay, well, why don't we do, uh, you know, a simple algorithm if we get less than, um, you know, 10% of available inventory, let's, you know, order up to what we consider would be the maximum for that inventory piece. And, um, or, or, or you could have it, uh, sorry, or we could have it say, um, let you have the machine learning, uh, try to figure out what the reorder amount should be. So it like, um, would interface to the data and then you're dynamically feeding something. So yeah, absolutely. Anyway, go ahead with your idea. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that's a great you know third case as machine comes, uh, machine learning comes in, into place. We're like, okay, well, we still need to answer the same question. That's where we established okay. our interface. But now instead of uh, just using a simple algorithm, we're actually going to use a machine learning implementation. And so what sits behind that interface, the actual implementation, would be uh, an engineer sitting there saying, okay, well, let's make some decisions about the you know the AI we want to uh, use and the data we want to feed into that and, and all of that. But, you know, it still comes back to answering that question. But like the ultimate end result there gets encapsulated behind that interface. And so it becomes easier to change uh, at each time. Or, you know, if we do the like the RFID tracking system or whatever, where, you know, each piece of inventory is known in real time, including its location. Um, you know, all of these uh, are sort of solving the same problem in um, three different ways. But it answers the same fundamental question is should more of these be ordered? And then, of course, you know, some other ordering system would probably go through and look at the catalog and say, okay, well, we just let's let's go through these one at a time and see if they need to be reordered and how many. And then it can just fundamentally rely on this thing that it knows nothing about. Uh, and then we can add sophistication to that over time. So um, creating sort of like, uh, you know, two separate contexts that we're operating in. One that's fully aware of the domain specifically to, uh, you know, uh, essentially becomes sort of a, a subdomain uh, of the main domain is in, you know, rather complicated one is just, uh, you know, should we reorder this and, and how many and how often, you know, that's, that's a rather challenging question to ask, right? Or to answer, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and so so by encapsulating that prob that problem domain itself behind an appropriate interface, we're we're free to uh, answer and re-answer that question as many times as we need to, without fundamentally needing to change everything that relies on that answer. So uh, does that make sense? Yeah, and um, I like how uh, by just putting it as an interface, we didn't we didn't uh, bind ourselves to implementation. So we're now very flexible in terms of if we have a new question that's asked, like I, I was really amazed how fast you responded to my machine learning. It wasn't like, oh, wait, you just threw in a uh, X dollar amount deal. We can't even look at that because that's going to require major refactoring and uh, we can't oh, we'll break all our systems if we have to refactor. Right. And, and that's the key is to shield the answer to that question behind uh, that interface so that, uh, and, you know, of course, like you do a machine learning uh, implementation and you never want to bleed uh, any of the machine learning stuff across that interface. Uh, same thing with the RFID piece, like the none of the RFID aspects should bleed across the interface there. And that's that's really the key is like a lot of times people will implement an interface, but not understanding that fundamental uh, flaw there of, and, you know, it's, I, I guess, you know, sort of industry terms would might call that a leaky interface. You're leaking uh, what's in the implementation um, through the interface so that other people can see it. And you really want to, um, you know, the sort of the main point there is to hide those details. Uh, 
and 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 essentially avoid leaking the implementation details across at all costs. So, um, and and is this what we call? A, is what's what you're referring to as a seam? Like I, I listened to the podcast before mm-hmm. uh, again, and and it seemed like when you said seam, you were actually talking about problem domain. So. Are we talking about a seam or a linkage? Uh, I would call this uh, a seam. I'm, uh, there's, you know, uh, a linkage like a, you're talking like in the linker, like compiler linkage. Uh, no, where you're just uh, bringing implementation across the interface. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is what I would describe a seam. Essentially, it's sort of like a natural part where um, where the problem uh, that you're working on sort of shifts either into a subproblem. Um, clean, you know, relatively cleanly, um, you know, but as a, you know, as an engineer, you sort of need to decide where those seams exist. And that's, you know, a big part of good design is saying, okay, well, you know, what are the, what are the parts that we're going to want to possibly change out in the future? And sometimes that's hard to know. Um, but when you make those decisions correctly and discuss that with the business, it makes it really easy to make these upgrades because they just, you know, pull out and uh, fall back into place. Uh, and then poor design comes in where you just sort of make those seams either arbitrarily or don't, or don't spend enough time uh, thinking of them ahead of time. So, yeah, it's one of those things I was thinking about today um, about interfaces and and um, uh, how to re- refactor the interface so that it's simpler. For example, let's say that uh, you have a office well let's go back to our inventory example mm-hmm. where we were you um originally you had an item master that didn't have branches and then all of a sudden your company's growing and you start saying well what we need to do is we need to implement branches but you go in and look in your code and you just have a single item master uh you don't have a item master branch and so because uh of that, you're, you're uh, at a dilemma. Do you start adding uh, a lot of duplicate uh, type of data where you have one item master, but it's really the same thing, but it's across multiple branches? Or do you uh, take your interface now and, and uh, build it so you can put an item branch on it? Yeah, I, th- I think that would be a case where you'd probably change your interface. Um, it's uh, it's a case where the fundamental problem is is changing there. I mean, ideally, you'd want to say, you know, like, okay, what's, you know, what's the chances that we're going to need to deal with branches here? And, um, and if, and if it's reasonably so, this would be an, enough of a breaking change that it would have a wide impact. Um, because it, essentially it's, um, it's related to your fundamental thing that you're trying to model in the software. So it's, it's sort of pro- part of your problem domain. And that's a case where uh, you're going to see the most rippling changes, um, you know, is, is when you're like, okay, we're solving this problem of inventory but if we have mismodeled our inventory system uh, and made certain assumptions that are incorrect, then we have to change our model and everything that's dependent on that model is, is also going to have to subsequently change. However, once we get that model right through, um, you know, through sophistication over the years, then that model will become more and more stable. Um, and uh, you know, essentially the, uh, the problem of inventory, we hope we'll have solved it. And, um, and then if we have uh, made it so that we don't have external technologies leaking into that, then we're free to take that, that model of how inventory works and how it should behave. And uh, you know, we can change the technology that it, that it uh, is hosted on. We can change data storage. Uh, we can you know, implement uh, modern algorithms, you know, AI, things like that, uh, and still have that fundamental core problem be the same. So, 
okay. and just how we're choosing to solve uh, would be different. So one of the one of the challenges uh, I I think in the uh, in the area of um, the onion peel approach mm-hmm. is that um, sometimes when you get your data um, set up in your tables, let's say for example, you you know you do. Uh, and if we're solving this problem, uh, maybe you come up with a really abstract idea like an entity, mm-hmm. you know, and then your entity has entity items, and that thing is very morphable to whatever you're trying to uh, encapsulate in, in the database. Uh, and so uh, is that a good design in that way to abstract where things it can be reusable? Um, and in that case, then aren't we going to be tied to what's in the database? Uh, you know, a lot of it is, uh, let's see here. Let me, let me back up a little bit. So, uh, at least if you're using, uh, say like domain driven design techniques, what you'd want to do is you'd want to model, um, that complex piece of data as classes. And, uh, you could say, you know, load up those classes, whether they're polymorphic, whatever, um, with whatever data you want. And, um, you know, so say, for instance, you just manually loaded up a, a set of instances, you could actually use your application against that and it should work. Um, you know, or for instance, if you had a repository p- pattern um, that said, hey, give me fully instantiated instances of these object hierarchies, um, then you could implement that like an in-memory provider for that repository, not connected to a database, right? Okay. So, yeah. And, um, and then also, you know, and this also kind of plays into things like unit testing is, uh, you know, unit tests are like, hey, we need a fully instantiated, you know, uh, instance of, of this class hierarchy, you know, go ahead and give me one. You could actually just say, okay, well, I've got a, an in-memory version that has a limited subset of our data, but um, here you go. Here's a really, you know, here's a real one. And it's not relying on like a relational database system. So your unit tests uh, essentially have uh, valid fakes that can be uh, created, um, you know, more or less instantly and not rely on <clears throat> things like relational databases to create those, uh, which is very desirable. Uh, you know, you want your unit tests to run consistently and run fast. And uh, and so having an in-memory provider to create those would be really beneficial. But then for your uh, full application, you say, okay, well, instead of an in-memory provider for um, persisting and retrieving these, why don't we just do an, a database implementation? And then that sort of becomes, uh, we're shifting over into a, a new uh, context, a new problem context, which is, you know, on the other side of that interface and saying, okay, we're getting... Uh, fully instantiated copies of these uh, class hierarchies, you know, just sort of handed to us. And our job is to take these and um, persist them somehow. And then uh, upon demand, maybe given an ID or a GUID or something, I want to retrieve those and faithfully recreate those in, in the class structure uh, that was initially handed to us and then present them back to the application. Um, and so then that way, it's, it's in, within that problem context, you're saying, okay, well, what's the best way to solve this? You know, is this uh, simple enough that it would, you know, is the structure such that it would even fit into a relational database? And um, in, in some uh, class structures just don't fit well into a relational database. Um, but then, you know, because, uh, you know, because we're working in this small problem space, uh, we can choose the right technology to fit that, you know, maybe document database, maybe even just serializing that and persisting it out to a file somewhere. Um, you know, these are, 
uh, things that, you know, are still quite valid for data storage solutions, you know, and uh, I think the assumption is, is that uh, relational databases are the only way to go when, you know, there's, uh, you know, probably 20 excellent options um, and uh, often only one of those is ever used. Yeah. Oh, and I like how you um, made the persistence not really relevant to the, the problem. The problem domain is really between the interface and the business process. So you're, again, you're, you're keeping it uh, very agile and fluid. So like in the case with the inventory, you know, today we have, uh, we have drones maybe that can fly around and do our inventory count. So every hour they, they fly around and they, you know, uh, update the status code on the inventory and says, yep, that, that inventory has been moved from this bin to this bin. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe in the future, uh, the machines will be moving bins around because they're, they're uh, for packing lists, for example. So to speed up the uh, movement of the items, they're repositioning the inventory. They're using little robots pick up the bin, move the bin over into a different location. So your, your warehouse could be in constant flux, you know, yeah. and we need to account for all that inside of our information systems. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, um, but yeah, so you can see how the, the seams there sort of transition from one problem domain to a separate problem domain. And, but it also changes visibility of that, of that individual problem domain. So like, uh, you know, again, with the persistence example there, uh, it's like, it's, it's saying my, my simple job here is just to uh, essentially implement this interface, which is to receive objects and save them somewhere and then give them back. But one, once uh, it crosses that interface boundary, once it crosses that seam, your persistence uh, uh, logic there doesn't actually care what happens to them. So, um, you know, same thing with any of these other things that are on one side or the other of an interface. Um, you know, what happens on the other side of the interface, uh, they just don't care. They're like, yeah, it's, I, I send it off into, into the void that is the, the fulfillment of this interface. And I'm, I'm not even sure what happens uh, when it goes over there. So, Do you think uh, the interfaces, uh, let's say, you know, I was looking at a couple today and I was thinking, okay, I, I, uh, I need to update, uh, well, I was doing, working on my uh, shipment and I, I need to update my uh, sales order detail with the number of items that were shipped and then also have the uh, items uh, updated for open amounts so that that way later on when I come through, I go, oh, you know, uh, I only shipped half of the items because maybe there wasn't the available supply in inventory but I still mark that so that later on uh, I can come in and then pick that up and then uh, ship the remaining amount once the inventory arrives. Um, how would you deal with that in terms of deciding on the interface? Do you just do, do you just do it like the way we, we described in this conversation and then kind of figure out uh, which repository I'm going to be using? Like maybe it's the sales detail repository and then does the shipment going to interface with that detail or do I do I do everything still in the shipment detail uh, yeah I would say I would say kind of you know, so, so you're establishing a central context like imagine you know there was a person that was doing that job and um, it's sort of like you know this is their job this is their problem and in the purview of their their job like you know what sort of things do they have visibility to so it's essentially like in, in this case you probably have some sort of orchestrator 
you know, and, um, you know, its job is to say, okay, well, I need to uh, sort of coordinate several different uh, systems together in order to create an outcome. Um, and, and yet they, they don't necessarily get into the finer details of actually like pulling an item from inventory or shipping that item to make sure it gets where it goes. Really, it's just saying I need to have an item pulled and I need to ship uh, the available amounts of those items. And if there are not enough items to ship, then I need to possibly record that in a ledger for later shipment or create a, like a split order, you know, an order now and an order for the remaining items. Um, if, you know, if that's a business decision that you want to implement. So, um, and that's, uh, that orchestrator would essentially rely on higher level interfaces in order to do that. Um, so that way it doesn't have to know the, the particular implementation details at all of how an item gets plugged from the warehouse. There just says, okay, I need three of these items. You know, maybe there's a pick list and it says, okay, this is your entire order. Um, so I need three of these, two of these, one of these and say, okay, go get these. And now I have, um, you know, something that, that represents uh, a picking of, of those items and then saying, okay, well, I need to coordinate these with the shipping system and say, okay, these are going to be picked. Now they need to be shipped out. So, um, you know, so, so essentially it's just uh, sort of putting all the major pieces together, but at a very high level. Um, and so, uh, so the interface to, to that orchestrator might be saying, okay, well, I have a completed order. These are the items that I need to have picked and shipped. Um, and, uh, and so that's uh, its interface is getting a list of those items. And of course uh, you have, you know, sort of common domain uh, models, which would be like the, uh, the existence of an inventory item um, would all be modeled consistently throughout the software. You'd have to sort of settle on what that looks like. You know, how do you represent a piece of inventory? Um, and, uh, and so those things are allowed to be shared amongst them. Uh, other things like maybe like an order or a pick list uh, might also be a, a universal concept there in your, in your whole problem domain. Uh, again, something that every part of your application would know about. Um, and so, yeah, so the inner, you would create a simple interface for that orchestrator to say, okay, here's a pick list of some inventory items and just coordinate this interaction. And uh, then, it, then it's done. So, yeah, I mean, I like it because uh, the orchestrator then is really simple. He doesn't need to know. Uh, he just needs to know based on some maybe some business rules uh, what, what type of things are going to happen. You know, a picking list generation, uh, a split order. Uh, you know, there could be some freight calculations, tax calculations. Um, yeah. And, and even those things can be, could and should be delegated off to other classes in order to do that. Um, you know, so for instance, uh, like taxes is a great one. Uh, tax calculations are quite complicated. You have uh, different tax rules in different localities, especially if you're doing like worldwide shipping. And the the orchestrator, the one that's um, picking the items, maybe figuring out the total, shouldn't be responsible for that those rules. Instead, it should say, hey, I just, uh, you know, I have this pick list and I need to just know the total tax on it and maybe get a, a breakdown of that tax, but I don't want to have to worry about the calculations. So, you know, you'd create an interface that is essentially responsible for calculating taxes. You know, given a set of inventory items, it can, you know, look at the values there and, uh, and possibly where the order is being shipped to, you know, the information that it needs um, and uh, whatever the internal implementation there uh, determine uh, what that is. In fact, uh, there's actually a uh, third party company that uh, that like that particular problem is so complicated. Uh, there's a, a third party company that's uh, stepped up to create uh, an API to actually just calculate taxes 
Um, you know, a lot of companies sort of cheat by just not essentially not charging taxes unless it's in the same state. Um, but I guess federal laws are changing, so that's not really an option anymore. And state laws are like, hey, we want our we want our taxes. We're owed this, um, and so uh, they're putting pressure on companies like Amazon to, you know, to actually calculate taxes and, and get that set up correctly. So, um, well, but, with your with your interface uh, design on the seam, it's perfect. It's perfect because. Uh, if let's say you're a small business and you can calculate the tax fairly easy because you're just local to that state. Right. And then if you go international, uh, you have to make a business decision. Do you want to spend the time to develop the software for the taxes or do you just want to make an endpoint call to a web API? Right. So but then, you go. yeah. So if, so if you make a nice interface there where there's a, a nice clean seam that centers around the question of, um, you know, what, what is my tax rate for, uh, for these items in this particular location? You know, and you, of course, have to detail out that question as much as you need it. But then in, in, in the beginning, when you're a small business operating locally, you can just implement a, a small algorithm that solves that. And then later down the road, if you expand to other states, you could, um, you know, maybe make that uh, more comprehensive. And then once you go international, you could actually change the implementation to just simply rely on a third party service. But because that main interface is always answering the, the question and, and in the interface design, you say, well, why don't we, we, we want to grow this, you know, why don't we design this with the idea that we will expand one day. And so let's accept like the full address, including the country and uh, as you know, as well as the inventory items we're calculating tax on. So that would be sort of good interface design to say like, let's, let's, you know, sort of make this a little more future-proof and just be comprehensive rather than make a bunch of assumptions, like assuming that all orders only go here, you know? So, yeah. Uh, but then that allows the implementation to uh, change and evolve over time and still answer that question. And so then the orchestrator can continue to do what they do and all, you know, and know that all they've ever done is just ask this other, uh, you know, this other service to say, hey, calculate my tax for me. And then it's like, okay, thank you. And, hmm. you know, keep, keeps it simple. So, so there's, you know, there's going to be like essentially layers of seams as you change from one problem domain to the next problem domain and sort of your, your main, uh, you know, your main, uh, what we call maybe like a bounded context there is, uh, you know, essentially inventory management, right? This is sort of your bigger problem, but there's a lot of sub problems in there and those sub problems should be uh, essentially isolated from one another. You know, I'd say I put in a recommendation to Microsoft um, because I well, what I wanted to have for Visual Studio was a command line where I could uh, talk to the AI and send it messages through natural languages to do things like uh, build myself an interface, and you know, I just uh, utilize the uh, uh, maybe maybe some of my uh, problem statements, and then it would just generate the code up for me. So I, I could see like in the future where machines start coding, uh, where the scenes are going to be so critical because they just need to know what you want and what your goals are, and then it can start filling in a lot of the detail for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Lucent, our time's up, but um, this is exciting. You know, you really helped uh, break down a a complex problem, which is the seams, you know, with we and the importance of focusing on those interfaces. Do you have any last comments? Uh, I think that's it. We we covered almost everything there. Um, you know, of course, uh, in an audio format, it's uh, these are some challenging concepts. So, but uh, I think we 
giving a nice little overview here. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.